Moses' disappointment. Hidden beneath the surface of Parshat Pinchas, the sages uncovered a story of great poignancy. Moses, having seen his sister and brother die, knew that his own time on earth was coming to a close. He prayed to God to appoint a successor. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. There is, though, an obvious question. Why does this episode appear here? It should surely have been positioned seven chapters earlier, either at the point at which God told Moses and Aaron that they would die without entering the land, or shortly thereafter when we read about the death of Aaron. The sages sensed two clues to the story beneath the story. The first is that it appears immediately after the episode in which the daughters of Tzlovchot sought and were granted their father's share in the land. It was this that triggered Moses' request. A midrash explains, what was Moses' reason for making this request after declaring the order of inheritance? Just this, that when the daughters of Slavchad inherited from their father, Moses reasoned, the time is right for me to make my own request. If daughters inherit, it is surely right that my sons should inherit my glory. Moses wanted a son of his to be his successor. The second clue lies in Moses' words, in God's words to Moses immediately before he made the request for the appointment of his successor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain of Avarim and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. The italicized words are seemingly redundant. God was telling Moses he would soon die. Why then did he need to add, as your brother Aaron? On this, the Midrash says, This teaches us that Moses wanted to die the way Aaron did. The Kadav Sofer explains, Aaron had the privilege of knowing his children would follow in his footsteps. Elazar, his son, was appointed as high priest in his lifetime. To this day, Kohenim are direct descendants of Aaron. Moses likewise longed to see one of his sons, Gershom or Eliezer, take his place as leader of the people. It was not to be. That is the story beneath the story. Moses' sons, neither of them was his successor. It had an aftermath. In the book of Judges, we read of a man named Micah who established an idolatrous cult in the territory of Ephraim and hired a Levite to officiate in the shrine. Some men from the tribe of Dan, moving north to find more suitable land for themselves, came on Micah's house and seized both the idolatrous artifacts and the Levite, whom they persuaded to become their priest, saying, Come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priest rather than just one man's household? Only at the end of the story are we told the name of the idolatrous priest, Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses. In our text, the letter Nun has been inserted into the last of these names so that it can be read as Menashe rather than Moses. However, the letter unusually is written above the line as a superscription. The Talmud says that the Nun was added to avoid besmirching besmirching the name of Moses himself by disclosing that his grandson had become an idolatrous priest.
How are we to explain Moses' apparent failure with his own children and grandchildren? One suggestion made by the sages was that it had to do with the fact that for years he lived in Midian with his father-in-law Jethro, who was at the time an idolatrous priest. Something of the Midianite influence reappeared in Jonathan three generations later. Alternatively, there are hints here and there that Moses himself was so preoccupied with leading the people that he simply didn't have time to attend to the spiritual needs of his children. For instance, when Jethro came to visit his son-in-law after the division of the Red Sea, he brought with him Moses' wife Zipporah and their two sons that hadn't been with him until then. The rabbis went further still when they speculated about the reason Moses' own sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron, spoke negatively about them. What they were referring to, said the sages, is the fact that Moses had physically separated from his wife. He'd done so because the nature of his role was such that he had to be in a state of purity the whole time because at any moment he might have to speak or be spoken to by God. They were, in short, complaining that he was neglecting his own family. A third explanation has to do with the nature of leadership itself. Bureaucratic authority, authority in virtue of office, can be passed down from parent to child. Monarchy is like that. So is aristocracy. So are some forms of religious leadership, like kuhuna, the priesthood. But charismatic authority, authority in virtue of personal qualities, is never automatically handed on across the generations. Moses was a prophet, and prophecy depends almost entirely on personal qualities. That, incidentally, is why, though kingship and priesthood in Judaism were male prerogatives, prophecy wasn't. There were prophetesses as well as prophets. In this respect, Moses was not unusual. Very few charismatic leaders have children who are also charismatic leaders. A fourth explanation offered by the sages was quite different. In principle, God didn't want the crown of terror to pass from parent to child in dynastic succession. Kingship and priesthood did, but the crown of terror, they said, belongs to anyone who chooses to take hold of it and bear its responsibilities. Moses commanded us the Torah as an inheritance of the congregation of Jacob, meaning that it belongs to all of us, not just an elite. The Talmud elaborates on this. Be careful not to neglect the children of the poor, because from them... Torah goes forth. Why is it not usual for scholars to give birth to sons who are scholars? Rav, Rav Yosef said, so that it shouldn't be said that the Torah is their inheritance. Rav Shisha, son of Ravidi, said, so that they shouldn't be arrogant towards the community. Mazutra said, because they act high-handedly against the community. Rav Ashi said, because they call people asses. Ravina said, because they don't first utter a blessing over the Torah. In other words, the crown of terror was deliberately not hereditary because it might then become the prerogative of the rich, or because children of great scholars might take their inheritance for granted, or because it could lead to arrogance and contempt to, for others, or because learning itself might become a mere intellectual pursuit rather than a spiritual one. They mean it, that's what they mean by saying they didn't first utter a blessing over the Torah. However, there is a fifth factor worthy of consideration. Some of the greatest figures in Jewish history did not succeed with all their children. Abraham fathered Ishmael, 
Isaac and Rebekah gave birth to Esau. All of Jacob's twelve children stayed within the fold, but three of them, Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, disappointed their father. Significantly, the great leaders of the Israelites throughout the Exodus, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, were all children of Levi, about whom Jacob said, may my name not be associated with their counsel. There are, of course, midrashim on this, that there were specific references to individual descendants of Levi, but the plain sense of the verse stands. Jacob himself thought he had failed with three of his children. Solomon gave birth to Rehovon, whose disastrous leadership divided the kingdom. Hezekiah, one of Judah's greatest kings, was the father of Manasseh, one of the worst. Not all parents succeed with all their children all the time. How could it be otherwise? We each possess freedom. We are each, to some extent, who we choose to become. Neither genes nor upbringing can guarantee that we become the person our parents want us to be. Nor is it right that parents should overimpose their will on children who have reached the age of maturity. Often this is for the best. Abraham didn't become an idolater like his father Terach. Manasseh, the archetypal evil king, was grandfather to Josiah, one of the best. These are important facts. Judaism plays, places parenthood, education at the home, and the home at the heart of its values. One of our first duties is to ensure that our children know about and come to love our religious heritage. But sometimes we fail. Children may go their own way, which is not ours. If this happens to us, we should not be paralyzed with guilt. Not everyone succeeded with all their children. Not even Abraham or Moses or David or Solomon. Not even God himself. Banim gidalti veromamti. I have raised children and brought them up, says God. But they have rebelled against me. Two things rescued the story of Moses and his children from tragedy. The book of Chronicles refers to Gershom's son, not as Jonathan, but as Shavuel or Shuvael, which the rabbis translated as return to God. In other words, Jonathan eventually repented of his idolatry and became again a faithful Jew. However far a child has drifted, he or she may in the course of time come back. The other is hinted at in the genealogy in the third chapter of the book of Bermidbar. It begins with the words, these are the children of Aaron and Moses, but goes on to list only Aaron's children. On this, the rabbis say that Moses, because he taught Aaron's children, they were regarded as his own. In general, disciples are called children. We may not all have children. Even if we do, we may, despite our best endeavours, find them at least temporarily following a different path. But we can all leave something behind us that lives on. Some do so by following Moses' examples, teaching, facilitating, or encouraging the next generation. Some do in line with the rabbinic statement that the real offspring of the righteous are good deeds. When our children follow our path, we should feel grateful. When they go beyond us, we should give special thanks to God. And when they choose another way, we must be patient, knowing that the greatest Jew of all time had the same experience with one of his grandchildren. And we must never give up hope. Moses' grandson returned. 
in almost the last words of the last of the prophets, Malachi foresaw a time when God will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. The estranged will be reunited in faith and love.